Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help raise your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Oh, hello. This is Hallie. <laughs> and this is Allison. And this is Ruined, a podcast where we ruin a horror movie just for you. Just for you. And uh, if you listened to last week, you heard the twist. Hallie's been British the whole time. Um, Oi. <laughs> Oi, governor. Oi, governor. No, we can't. I, mean, I can't listen. do any accent work, so apologies in advance. Uh, <laughs> apologies also, if you were listening, if you listened to last week's episode, you know I am recording uh, not from my normal podcasting recording space with my big fancy microphone, so uh, not quite the quality that we've really uh, let you all believe you will have every week, but we'll be back to normal after this one, so. Um, I just also wanted to say that I was reminded of, I believe we've discussed at a certain point, Allison, that you had to put on your, you would put on your resume the things you can't do. The accents you simply can't do. Oh, it's yes. just easier that way. Yeah, it would don't be make me. Don't ask me. Yes. Yeah. Don't make me juggle. Don't, don't make me horseback ride. Don't make me play the guitar. Don't yes. ask me for any kind of skill. I don't have them. I and can't I let you know that up top. backwards. No, I probably can. Um... <laughs> Never tried. I'm sure I have. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Are you sure you've tried to walk backwards? Well, we're going to have to get that on video. Yeah, I'll have to, to, I'll you have to tape it for the pod. Um, Is it like dogs can't look up or something? But they can. They look up all the time. What? Yeah, they always look can't up. walk backwards. They're always looking at you for food. They're yeah. going to drop a ham sandwich on their little face. Inherently, just like above them from a... Biology, st- like we are taller than they are. We stand on two legs. They are on the it ground. It is science. That's the science. It's science, people. Dogs look up. However, science is still out on whether or not Allison can walk backwards. Yes, we'll have to put that hypothesis to the test in some trials. <laughs> um, you guys have been leaving, we've been asking you to leave us spooky uh, reviews along with your five-star ratings. And we've been reading them on the podcast. And they're, you guys are so scary and so good. And we have another great one that uh, I'd like to read. Um, this was left by... I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> the user, uh, the username A Body Snatcher, and the review Love reads, it. Ruined, a podcast sure to give you a comfortable fright until you've binged all the episodes and you're alone with your thoughts on a cold, dark and cold COVID night. Sincerely, the real Allison Libby. <gasps> Who am I then? Oh my God. There's like very scary, but not only there's a... Uh, the original Allison Libby exists out there, but that she is also listening to the pod. Oh, you think that I'm not the original? I'm like some kind of replacement, a faux Allison. Yeah, you're you're absolutely you're a doppelganger. You're you're a, an, an other. You body snatched Allison, but I guess she's okay enough to re- read a review. And this thing, Al- the original Allison likes our pod so much that yes. even though you have stolen her identity and yes. are making. Making this podcast in her stead, yes. she still will leave five stars. So that's how good this podcast yeah, is. Yeah, that's how good the podcast is. And uh, you don't know which identity thief I am. So there's that. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Since there's two. 
also, we, there can be more than two. That's you know, there can be five. There can be five. We don't know. Just to say, I still have plenty of time for my identity to be stolen <laughs> again and make this a true oh my trilogy, God. which you know, fittingly, is related to the movie we're doing today. Um, an incredible segue. We are doing, of course, all of the Scream movies leading up to our live show on Sunday, February 27th at 7 p.m. East Coast, 4 p.m. Pacific Coast. Coast. Oh, boy, I forgot the coast, Ooh, but I got through that. Coasts? And um, you, of course, can get tickets at momenthouse.com slash ruined, as always. And we will continue a pace we are doing this week, Scream 3. We've been loving it so far. Loving. So whether you've seen the Scream movies or haven't, I feel like this is such a fun month. It's and we so hope you're fun. enjoying it as much as we are. Um, Allison uh, always watches the trailer for the mm-hmm. film. So, Allison, what are your thoughts about the trailer for Scream 3? I mean, they do present it as, like, this This is a, this is franchise is a trilogy. This is the final mm-hmm. act, which is very funny because we which know is very funny. that there are two movies yes. that come out after this. <laughs> <laughs> I love just the, the pure, blind, you know, attempt at cashing in on um, the concept of a trilogy by the studios. Mm-hmm. Um, being like, what, why would we ever stop making money? Yeah, we'll keep making these movies for you, you idiots. Um, I mean, another stacked cast. It's 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 impressive that the Scream movies have had such star-studded, you know, lineups of actors because, like, they go through so many every movie. Like, it's if I yeah. feel like if you were acting between 1996 and 2004 and you weren't in one of the Scream movies, you didn't have very good agents. A hundred percent. And every famous person for every famous person that are in the movies, up uh, ten. Equally or more famous people, I'm sure, went out for the role. Yes, absolutely. It's like, oh, fuck. Oh, no, Jenny McCarthy got the role I went out for. And I, it's, of course, you know. Yeah. Angelina Jolie. I don't even right. know. Like, somebody who went at, later yes. on went on to be absolutely gigantic. Yeah. Um, um, but a very fun trailer. Love all the trilogy, final, you know, installment, like, all bets are off kind of thing. Um, great. I'm excited. Um, we also like to take a... Um, baseline scary and again it's so hard because the screen movies tend to follow you know we know what we're getting you know what I mean? yes. but allison how scary do you find the concept of finally knowing your mother <gasps> i know can oh, you man. even imagine it i can't i've been with my mother for a week in her house <laughs> and i feel like we're really finally knowing each other uh but oh my god wow so it's parallel so it's your, a parallel your, Real life. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's, like, I think that finding out things about people close to you, especially family and especially parents, like, finding it out, like, after the fact that there's been something they've been keeping from you, whether Mm -hmm. it's good or bad, is always just, like, a very strange, like, everything I've ever known is wrong kind of feeling. And then, and let's clarify, what if you were to find things out about a parent that is extremely bad? Oh. I mean, I don't want I know. that. That sounds terrible. Same. Hard same. Yeah. But I guess I guess on a certain level, what well, it would be nice, um, and especially, you know, for Sydney, as the franchise is about the, the loss of her mother uh, as yes. sort of the starting point of it, it is nice to know these things, even if they're negative, because it is humanizing. Yes. You know, versus, yes. I think, Sydney at the beginning, you know, like, is on, of the understanding that she knows her mother, mm-hmm. it was this tragic thing, and then sort of, finds out more about her. And in this movie, it's very much about what she does not know about her mother's life prior I'm to like, Sydney's birth. 
I, I feel oh, like girl. she's had her get you know, ready concept of her mother shattered in the first movie already. I know. Um, what else could there be to learn? And they will say, and I'm not indicting um, Sydney's father, Neil Prescott, but you know, it, it sure seems like Neil wasn't doing a lot of asking or digging about mm-hmm, his spouse's mm-hmm, life. Like mm-hmm. Neil seemed very content to, you know, hey, it's none of my business. But I guess again, that is something of the past generations that yeah. is true of a lot of people's parents. Like, well, if I don't bring it up, something unpleasant is that it's like it didn't happen. Yes, and, and there's no it, internet kind of paper trail that you could easily yes. where it's like. At this point, like, if you're with somebody who has, I don't know, murdered someone or whatever, like, you would know that. Like, it, you know, if, it, if, it became, if anybody else knew, you would know because it would be on the internet. It'd be a little bit on you to not have looked them up a little, like, before. Well, Allison, that's true. Unless, of course, they're using a pseudonym or, in this case, a stage name. Oh, no. And before we get started, having seen through your ears yes. the first two Scream films. Yes. Would you like to guess the twist in Scream 3? Guess the twist. Well, now that you have suggested there's more to learn about Marie Prescott, and perhaps not about Neil, um, I'm going to say that she maybe killed someone. Um, I, I I love this guess. And yes, unfortunately, Neil remains a little bit of a blank slate in this film. I, I'll be like, Neil, I would like to get your reaction to a lot of the stuff that comes out. He's like, know, I am all about carabiners. If you know anything about me, I'm carabiner focused. I'm in Europe at the, the International Hilton. Carabiner Conference. I yes. can't be here aiding my, my now adult daughter. So. For those who are confused, Hallie, for some reason, has projected the <laughs> job onto Neil Prescott being that he is a carabiner, I guess, professional. You haven't really identified that he's a sales guy, but I feel like I that's would say kind of salesman. Vibe. Yeah. Yeah. He owns a carabiner import expert company oh, that okay. exclusively. Very art Vandalay. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think carabiner just seems like something that's like, well, somebody's selling it and. Yeah. They do not specify. They could have said he does anything. Yeah, Like matter. any kind of salesman. And they don't specify. So I think Carabiner seems perfectly middle down the middle of the road. Why not? Just something like that. So let us begin by ruining Scream 3. We open in Hollywood, baby, Los Angeles. City of angels, city of dreams, baby. Oof. And I feel like in the original Scream, they do take pains to make it seem like it's in anywhere USA, yeah. you know? But in both Scream 2 and Scream 3, we established that Woodsboro is in California. Okay. In my mind, I've always thought of it as like Northern California. You know, we're not right outside the city or anything, but I it is in California. Woodsboro being in North Carolina. So, And I think the first one, that was with intent, yes. you know. And, but in Scream 2, there is a reference that people make like, oh, in California, these kids got cut up. Yeah, okay. Referring to the got original uh, movies events. And this one, we're in Los Angeles. So everything must... It must be drivable. You know what I mean? The events okay. that, that have taken place, yes. they're within within the state. The okay. beautiful, the golden state of golden California. State. My hometown. My new hometown. Mm-hmm. My current town. Um, and we meet up with, of course, Cotton Weary, Perfect. who is stuck in traffic near the Hollywood Bowl. A lot of L.A. jokes in this. Oh, good. He's trapped on the highway. And he's telling this agent, if they want a day rate instead of a weekly rate, that's their business. But I'm telling you, I'm not doing it for less than a million. Oh, And he's, yeah, I know. We've been finding out that he's being asked to, quote, risk his reputation as the country's number one syndicated talk show host. Who? So my mind, I'm like, okay, okay, so he's Dr. Phil. Got it. 
to do a cameo in a cheap slasher flick. Oh, and no. just then, Cotton gets a call from a very sexy-sounding lady. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I think I have the wrong number. But you sure sound like that Cotton Weary. I love his show. We find out, Allison, that the name of his show, which is like a daytime talk show like Oprah, yeah. you know, Don't Dr. Phil, it's called 100% Cotton. Oh, okay. uh, which I, I know. Like, it both sucks and also I love it. I mean, this was also the like around the beginning of those commercials for cotton. Yeah, they started. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, which is so funny. Know. It's like, man, I don't even know what else clothes could be made out of. Yeah. You, you have to sell cotton to me. I don't. Who, where would I go? What do you think I'm buying? Silk. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? They're like, hey, buy Rayon. cotton clothes. It's like I have been. I thought. <laughs> Aren't we all? It's like we all wear jeans. Those are cotton, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> So Cotton, he's like, oh, I, let me get my agent off the phone. He gets back on the line. He's like, so you're a fan of Cotton? And the woman's voice is like, oh, you're a naughty boy, Cotton. What would your girlfriend say? And Cotton says, oh, what makes you think I have a girlfriend? Of course, Allison, it the is. woman's voice drops out, and we hear good old ghost face telling him, oh, I know you do. I'm right outside her bathroom door. <gasps> Cotton, of course, freaks out. He just starts veering off the highway, like driving into traffic trying to get home. Yes as Ghostface narrates his walking through their apartment to the bathroom. Mm. And Ghostface is like, she's a real step up from Maureen Prescott. (gasps) Speaking of which, want to play a game? And Cotton's like, don't do this. Who the fuck is this? I don't want to play No, no. Eh, eh, eh. If you answer correctly, your girlfriend lives. If you answer incorrectly, she dies. And he says, who the fuck is this? And Ghostface says, it's someone who would kill to know where Sidney Prescott is. And I know you know. So I want you to tell me where Sydney is, and if I don't tell you, if you don't tell me, I'm gonna kill your girlfriend. Ooh. And Khan, I know. And Khan says, I will kill you if you put a hand on my girlfriend. And Ghostface says, wrong answer, and hangs up. <gasps> so Cotton is like speeding home, trying to call the cops on the highway to his house. Oh my God. Christine, his girlfriend, is at home. Of course, she is just getting into the shower. Why we love the shower. And she drops her towel just as we see that someone has cut the landline. So Cotton, <gasps> Cotton can't. Call the house. Oh, no. Would she have a cell phone? Yes, ostensibly at this point, but... Uh, In 2000, yeah. Just at this point, a song starts blaring from their living room. Allison, the song is What If by Creed. What if? (laughs) An insane choice, but I guess it was 2000 when this came out. It's still an insane choice. Like, that's just a wild They were huge, though. I guess. I saw... saw, um, uh, I saw Creed at the Cleveland, I think it was at the Cleveland Convention Center. Oh. I had a great time. Oh, I was like 15. Yeah. The music was playing from his office. When she gets to his office, he's nowhere to be found. She shuts out the music. And Christine says, Cotton, stop. You know I don't like your stab games. Ooh. That's, that's what we're calling it? Uh, yeah. Suddenly we hear Cotton's voice call out to her like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just being Cotton. You know what I mean? I'm sorry about that. Unfortunately, Allison, when Christina emerges into the foyer, we see it is not Cotton, but it is Ghostface. And he lunges at her and he chases her down the hallway. Okay. And both of them slipping on the water from when yeah. she walked out of the shower. And luckily, Christine gets to Cotton's office in time to lock the door. Unfortunately, through the door, Christine hears Cotton's voice. And he's like, I'm sorry I didn't mean to scare you. I'm just trying to take the game to the next level. So I'm oh. like, is this, which, does he have like a sexual fe- fantasy that they have to like, that he involves her in about Aye. stab or Woodsboro murders, you know? I and so Christine's like, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what, this isn't, this is not, I'm not on board with any of this. Yeah. 
And Cotton says, I'm talking about how fun it is going how fun it's going to be to rip your insides out. So open the door, Christine. Of course she does it. And so then a knife starts stabbing through the door oh to the God. office. And she is screaming, panicking. Just then the actual Cotton arrives home and calls for Christine. Mm. But of course, it's dead silent. Ghostface is already seen. He grabs a fireplace poker and he he goes into the office. She leaps out of the closet screaming. She has a golf club because she's under the impression right. he was the one chasing her yes. and saying all that crazy shit. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Like, have you lost your mind? Why would you do all this stuff? And she's swinging the golf club at Cotton. He's like, I, I, it wasn't me. It's just unfortunately yeah. from behind her, Ghostface leaps out of the hallway and Cotton screams, Christine, turn around. It's too late. Ghostface stabs Christine in the back, mm. then lunges as Cotton. And they, they grapple, and Cotton tries to fight him off, but Ghostface stabs him in the chest, and he holds up the this voice modulator, which is next level. I mean. And he, te- he tells him, I asked you where Sydney is, and now you lose. And he stabs Cotton to death, bringing us to the title card, Scream 3. Oh. We find, yeah. That's so Cotton. Franchise rap on Cotton. Great intro. Also, kind of a, a fun twist to have a um, a guy be sort of the... We had to have Christine, I suppose. But, yeah. um, you know, Cotton be being the, the main victim. Yeah. Yeah. So we find Sydney Prescott is living a very secluded life. It looks like she's like... It's like a mountain town in gorgeous California. She has a, um, a golden retriever named mm. Cherokee. Oh. And, but she's got, like, Simply Safe on the front gate on every door, like... She is secluded, yes. um, secluded herself. Also, before, they, I, I obviously watched things with closed, closed captions so I could take better notes. Yes. And also, I can't hear anything. Yes. Uh, before she says the dog's name again, Cherokee, I thought the dog's name was Richard. <laughs> and I was like, what a funny name for a dog. Richard. But it's Cherokee. Oh, Cherokee makes And she's in the middle of this. beautiful nowhere California. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't even see her neighbors. Obviously, she's been isolating herself, understandably. Yes. Having graduated college, you know, she's, you know, in her uh, ostensibly mid-20s. Yeah. And we see what she's doing for work, which is she is a remote operator for the California Women's Crisis Counseling Center. Of course. So um, she's able to just call in from, which actually is like predates what we all do now. It's like she yeah. works from home. Right. She just has to call in on an office line and then be put on the clock. And we see on her speed dial, the first two numbers are Dad and Dewey. So she still has oh, Dewey in her life, good. which is good. And her dad's still alive, so that's nice. That's good. Yeah, good for him, honestly. I know. I mean, Shocking. I don't know what, I would I would love to see, if I've had a spinoff, it would be what the hell Neil thinks is going on with all this, you know? <laughs> like, he's like, dear Lord, my wife is murdered. Yeah, she cheated on me, but like, did she deserve all that? No. Uh, my poor daughter, all of her friends are murdered. She was always killed. Then my daughter goes away to college. Everyone gets murdered. She always gets killed. Yeah. But luckily, she's safe because she lives alone in the mountains. I got bad news, Neil. It's just going to keep going. It ain't safe. So, Cindy calls into work, and she tells them, hey, it's Laura from Monterey. So, she's using a fake name. And so, everyone at her work knows her as Laura. So, she's living under a pseudonym. Got it. And she immediately gets a call from an 18-year-old girl who's being physically abused for by her boyfriend, which is very sad, but, like, Cindy's yeah. so compassionate and, like, helpful. Like, this is something where she could actually, like, Help really— Make a difference. Cut to Gail Weathers, who has the shortest bangs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is her mini bangs era. And I was like, oh, they look like what what people call turf Turf bangs. bangs. I was like, would Gail Weathers be a turf? I feel like 
I feel like she might be tempted. Like, she might read something, and then once she talked to somebody, she'd be like, you're right. That's yeah. crazy. She's a, she, I'm like, just saying. She, she's intense, and she, you know, flies off the handle, and she's a mega bitch, but she's also a journalist and a truth seeker right. and a compassionate one at that, I think. Exactly. Yeah. But I, the bangs are the bangs hilariously are short. And all the fashion is absolutely incredible in this film. Like, I want every single outfit because they look insane. Like, the first, when Gail eventually will see her, she's wearing a pantsuit. It is a bright yellow pantsuit. Mm. She has a bright yellow bag. And she's wearing a red tank top. It oh is a God. mustard and ketchup fantasy. It looks insane. <laughs> I love it. So every outfit is incredible. So... Gail is at a college, and she's talking to a group of journalism students and said, so in closing, there's one thing you need to remember. Being the best means being willing to do what the others will not. Break the rules. Stop at nothing. Be willing to be hated, because that is how you get the facts and the fame. And everyone was like, hooray, Gail Weathers, you're a star. And a student who's played by Richmond, no, Richard Arquette. So I'm like, that must be like an Arquette cousin or something. Got like a cameo. And she's saying so, and he says, so you're saying we should be ready to go out and cut each other's throats because that's what you did? And Gail says, yes, metaphorically. Mm. And he says, tell me, Miss Weathers, was it worth it? But then the moderator comes in and is like, okay, enough questions. We're out of time. Thank you, Miss Weathers from Total Entertainment. So she's, instead of doing hard journalism, which is kind of what she wanted, she wanted yeah. to be the Diane Sawyer, she's doing Entertainment Tonight. Yeah. So... You know, she is a star, but she's not really doing actual reporting, right. which we're going to find out is kind of a thorn in her side. Mm, but again, girl, you made your fame off of murders. I mean, like, there's only yeah. two directions that could have gone, you know. Yeah. Oh, and also, this was not written by Kevin Williamson. Oh, so he was actually hired to write this originally, and then they went with a different direct, uh, different writer. And interestingly, because I was reading about it, uh, sort of the themes that emerge in the movie are about, like, Different scripts, different versions of stories. What stories are we following? Like, what characters are we following? Interesting. And that is based on the fact that they kept doing rewrites. And that was because in Scream 2, um, like, the first 40 pages got leaked. So then Kevin Williamson had to rewrite everything. Oh, that sucks. And this is, I mean, it's true now, and it was true then, but, like, it was sort of like if you could leak a script, people would leak it. You know, so I think in Scream 3, they actually ended up shooting three different endings in an effort to keep it totally obscured who the killer was. And so this Scream 3 is actually written by uh, Aaron Kruger. What else did he write? Um, And Aaron Kruger wrote the American version of The Ring. Oh. Fabulous. Great. He also wrote many of the Transformer films. Sure. Dark of the Moon, Edge of Extinction. But The Ring is a fantastic, um, you know, remake of uh, the original film and absolutely fabulous. Apparently wrote Top Gun Maverick, so uh, keep your eye out for that this year. Okay. And um, Making money. So Kevin Williamson, obviously his, you know, original characters and, and ideas, but the final script was uh, by a different screenwriter. Right. Okay, so the detective, the detective, however, there to meet her is not Dewey, as which I kind of assumed it was the first time I saw it. But it's Detective Mark Kincaid, played by McDreamy himself, Patrick Dempsey. Fun addition. Hot then, hotter now. Yeah. Like, he is someone where it's like, can you imagine being that hot for your entire life? No, and it he really was seems hot fair. in Can't Buy Me Love. Even, like, playing, like, a dork in high school. I was like, he's still a babe? I don't know, like, what we're talking about. And that was in the early 80s. <laughs> so, um, Kincaid tells Gail, Cotton Weary has been murdered, and as well as his girlfriend, and the killer left a photo on Cotton's body. 
And Gail says, I swear on my Pulitzer Prize, which I plan to win one day, <laughs> that I will not reveal what you're about to tell me to anyone. Kincaid yeah. says, okay. Allison, the photo that the killer left at Cotton Weary and Christine's murder scene mm-hmm. is a headshot of Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott. Oh, interesting. At her gorgeous home slash emotional prison, yes. Cindy hears on TV about the murder of Cotton Weary and, of course, is terrified, like, yes. well, fuck. Like, ugh, again? And so we find out that Cotton had just finished shooting a cameo of himself in the movie Stab 3, colon, Return to Woodsboro, which is currently in production. So this is the third movie of the Stab franchise, okay. just like this is the third movie of the Scream franchise. And we missed Stab 2, or are we going to learn a little Stab bit about it? Stab 2 is... Yeah, there's some jokes about it, but we've, we've skipped over Sam too. Okay. Um, and so, and it was also kind of confusing, and this is sort of, I looked online, it's like marked as like a mix-up or like a mistake. So mm-hmm. Cotton's arguing with his agent about what he's going to be paid up to shoot it, but he's already he's shot already it. already shot it. Interesting. So I think they're like, eh, it doesn't matter, like the discrepancy. But he was going to be... He already shot the cameo of himself, and in Stab 3, he was the first person killed. Oh. He was killed. He was going to play himself getting killed in Stab 3. In the open. Okay, got it. Yeah. And then he got killed. So we find Shit. ourselves then at the set of Stab 3, colon, Return to Woodsboro at beautiful Sunrise Studios, which is, of course, swarming with press, swarming of with course. police, you know? Of course. And we meet the director, Roman, played by Scott Foley, also Great. a 2000, early 2000s Ugh. icon. Yes. Arguing with the execs, including executive uh, producer John Milton, Saying, like, we're going to finish this, hire more security, do whatever you want, but please do not shut down my movie. And the execs sound like, ah, violence in movies is very touchy right now. Again, this is within the few years span of the original Scream, you know, so. Yes. You know, we we, we want to be sensitive to that. And, and Rowan points out, so if you think if we don't make horror movies, all the psychos will just retire. And John Milton tells him, I'm just saying I've made horror movies for 30 years and I've never had a psycho problem. <laughs> So it's like, oh, wow, these movies are so important and, like, so, like, graphic and, and yes. it's, like, affecting people, you know? Well, in the words of Billy Loomis in the original, uh, movies don't create killers. They you got make killers this. more yes. creative. Exactly. So, I mean... And this movie sure suggests that that is true as well. Um, the execs ask uh, Detective Kincaid and his colleague, Detective Wallace, and they're like, well, we can't assume Khan's death had anything to do with the film, right? Sure, of course not. And Wallace is like, he was in a film called Stab 3, and he was stabbed. I think there's some connection here. Yeah. And we meet not the cast. Not to mention everything uh, else about his history. <laughs> 100%. Also, a headshot was left there of uh, Sidney's mother. Yeah. So we meet the cast, and they're not one-to-one to any of the movies. They're just okay. sort of like the new group. And I think it's supposed to be like represent like the new group at college in mm-hmm. the second one, where it's sort of like it's just a new sexy group of yeah. people to be murdered. Sure. So we meet Tyson, um, and he's like, you know, it, it, Tyson is sort of like he's the Randy substitute. Like mm-hmm. he's like the movie nerd. And he's like, is it a freak who's mad because they killed Randy and stabbed two you know, because, like, I'm sort of the new Randy, and, like, what if they kill me, you know? Oh, God. And apparently that's a joke because Wes Craven got hate mail be- because they killed Randy in, in Stab 2, which is, like, people are insane. Like, fans are insane. People are absolutely out of their minds. So, you know, Tyson's really concerned, you know, like, I'm not a Randy substitute on my own character, but what if I get killed, you know? Right. 
Sarah, another cast member played by Jenny McCarthy. Perfect. Points out, like, look, I'm not saying you are Randy exactly. I'm saying your character's name is Ricky and you work at the video store. So, you know, <laughs> if you, if if they're mad about Randy, you are the Randy. Yeah, Jenny McCarthy's Tom, like, I kill people by not getting vaccinated. <laughs> right, exactly. Do it the easy way. Right. Tell them the vaccines are awful. Um, Tom, who's clearly playing, like, the Dewey character, he's, mm-hmm. like, in the, in the same uniform. It says, like okay, what if the person is Sydney Prescott? Like, nobody even knows what happened to her. What if she's the killer? Like, she kind of fell off the map, you know? And Angelina, who is the movie's Sydney, says, I'm starting to see why Tori Spelling and David Schwimmer did want to come back. (laughs) And who is playing Angelina? That's right, it's Emily Mortimer, (gasps) hollow bones like a bird. I always think of her 30 Rock character. character I associate with her the most. Ooh, my bones. (laughs) And Sarah's like, this was just about Cotton. He had that TV show. Everybody hated him. Like, he he courted a lot of controversy. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't think that we can necessarily assume it's just because of the movie. However, Tyson opens up the script and points to Sarah's character, whose name is Candy. Who, and I think she's supposed to be, like, a little bit of Casey, a little bit of Tatum. Yeah. And he reads for the script, we're not in any danger, says Candy, page 15. <laughs> And Sandy's like, okay, well, I don't see you quitting the movie and storming off. And he's like, do you see any serious black actors throwing away roles like this? Like, yeah. I am one of the main characters. I cannot abandon this at this stage in my career. But Angelina's already like, they're going to shut down the movie, and maybe yeah. it was just not meant to be. Tom's like, Angelina, they, they, you literally won a competition to be the new Sydney. They went through 50,000 girls, and you were picked like, this was sort of like, we looked everywhere yes. and we found the perfect Sydney. You better pray this movie keeps going because if not, you're not going to have a career, which yeah. I think is fair. Valid. And and Angelina's like, yeah, I want a career, but not the expense of people's lives, you know? Right. This is when Gail finds, shows up in her fabulous ketchup and mustard ensemble, mm-hmm. her incredibly short bangs. Tiny bangs. And Hot she dog has, outfit. <laughs> she has put a video camera in her purse that kind of has like a cutout on the side. Perfect. And so she's recording surreptitiously while she's on set. And she says as she walks in, all of the sets are perfect replications of Woodsboro. So we see Sydney's house. We see the murder party from the end of the first scream. That's scary. And she says, deja voodoo, which is like, okay, I don't know. Again, not a Kevin Williamson line if I had to to say. No, that's true. Suddenly, Gail is accosted by the actress Jennifer Jolie, played by Parker Posey, who is playing Gail Weathers in Sam 3. So Jennifer is like, oh my God, I am the biggest fan. And she's actually wearing, which again, a fun trivia thing, she's wearing Gail's wardrobe from Scream, (gasps) like the actual outfits that she wears. And Parker Posey is so funny. Like this character is, like this is why ultimately I think you could watch this one especially, is like, it's so funny. She is like so ridiculous. She's slobbering all over it. She's like, I feel like after two movies, I feel like I'm in your head, and Gail, like, blows her off. Yeah. And so Jennifer kind of starts challenging Gail, like, like uh, channeling her to her own face. And she tells Gail, I'm sorry things didn't work out with 60 Minutes, but Total Entertainment is a pretty good fallback. And Gail shoots back, I'm sorry things didn't work out with Brad Pitt, but being single, that's a pretty good fallback. Again, another Jennifer Aniston oh, joke. Oh, that's, I mean, that seems Iconic. fun. <laughs> Gail goes to storm away, go, wheels around, goes to storm away, and runs into, She's of so course, physical. it's so uh, so much storming. Yes. I love so much bursting in. Yeah, bursting, so much storming. storming, whipping, uh, just everything. Uh, Gail storms away and immediately runs into Dewey, Perfect. who is on set serving as like a technical advisor and, from the looks of it, canoodling with Jennifer. 
And Dewey, of course, they're back to having bad blood. Dewey's like, surprise, surprise, somebody gets murdered and Gail comes running. Okay. You know? And Jennifer goes over to Dewey and is kind of like hanging off him and says, well, you know, Gail, someone's been really helping me understand you. Your ruthless ambition, your private self-loathing, and that lost and little lonely girl inside. And Gail says, lost and little lonely what? Nope. And she kind of takes Dewey aside and says, I thought you were supposed to be in Woodsboro. You always told me I could never leave Woodsboro. And Dewey's like, I'm surprised you thought about me at all. You know, like, I'm here to work. I was hired onto the show. Or I was hired onto the movie. Right. I'm here we're doing that. And Tom, who is the movie's Dewey, then that he comes over and starts hitting on Gail. Okay. So it's sort of like oh, people who are playing them are hitting on the actual characters. Love it. And Tom is like, you know, you're so right. Pop culture is the politics of the 21st century. <laughs> and Gail's like, oh, well, at least somebody likes me. And then Tom says, and you know what I love? That story you did about me last month crashing my car. What powerful journalism. I especially like that you implied it was caused by drinking and drugs. And that the tire blowout was faked. So Tom already doesn't like Gail either. Okay. Gail's like, oh, well, I was just, you know. And Tom's like, actually, are you parked in the lot? Let me go see that nobody's messed with your brake line. You know, I'm going to go check it out for you, Gail. Oh, boy. So, but anyway, Gail is about business. She's not going to let, you know, Dewey's, like, hostility or uh, the mm-hmm. fact that everyone hates her um, stop her. So she tells Dewey about the photo of Sydney's mother at the murder scene. She did tell the cops she wouldn't tell anyone, but, hey, that's fine. I feel like she does not play by the rules. Dewey. I think so. I think that he, you know, lives outside of those rules. And Dewey tells her, Sydney does not need you or your camera in her life, like, please. And Gail's like, I don't have a camera. And Dewey's like, I bought you that purse so that you could record things. Yes. It's like, oh, well, Dewey does know her and love her, you know? Yeah. By this point, John Milton realizes that Gail is on his set and is like, oh, a fucking entertainment journalist is here to, like, snoop around because of, like, the murder and, like, the subject matter. Get the fuck off my set. Yeah. And Gail demands to see Detective Kincaid. And as she kind of gets hauled off of out of the set and gets kicked out of the studio a lot. So in a movie that would be in a move that would be inscrutable to anyone under 38, mm-hmm. um, as Gail is getting kicked out of the set, there are two characters waiting in line on like a studio tour, and they are Jay and Silent Bob. Oh. Who have that's a cameo. Fun. And Jay says, Holy shit, Silent Bob, that's that TV news chick. That was Connie fucking Chung. And sort of like in passing, Gail like flips on the burn. At her home, Sydney's dad, Neil, stops by. He's got, like, a ton of groceries. So the implication is she lives within driving distance of Woodsboro. And, like, he stops in to check on her and make sure she's okay. Also, why wouldn't he move? Again, the carabiner business seems like one you could do anywhere. But maybe Woodsboro is a hotbed of carabiner business activity. Yeah. So he's like, where am I going to go? The capital of carabiner business. Yeah, but again, I would love to ha- have a little more insight into Neil's whole uh, approach to things. Yeah. And so Sydney tells uh, Neil about Cotton. He's like, you know, Cotton had a ton of enemies. I don't think this will be about you, you know. And Sydney says, do you ever think about Mom? Like, none of this would have ever happened if she hadn't. But why did she have so many secrets, Dad? Mm. And Neil Prescott's like, maybe it's time you came home to Woodsboro. Like, it's not healthy to be isolated like this. Like, the only people you really talk to know you about a pseudonym. It's as if you don't exist. And Sydney's like, that's the point. If no one knows where I am, psychos can't kill what they can't find. Yes. You know? Unfortunately, Allison, later that night, Neil's gone home. Sydney's fallen asleep on the couch, only to wake up to her mother in a nightgown walking up to this big picture window in her house. What? 
And sort of Sydney jolts up and sees her mother standing at the window, watching her with her hand, like a bloody handprint on the wi- a window. Okay. And Maureen says, Sid, come here. Mother needs to talk to you. Everything you touch, Sid, dies. You're poison, just like me. And Maureen sort of slumps to the ground, like dragging her hands down the window, and Sydney runs over there. But of course, when she approaches the glass, instead of Maureen, Ghostface po- pops back up and lunges at her, shattering the glass. Of course, it's just a dream. Okay. Sydney wakes up okay. on the couch. And the point of it is, she can run from her mother's legacy, run from Ghostface, but she can't hide. Back on the studio lot, Sarah, again played by Jenny McCarthy, she screeches her BMW into a parking space and is going to meet with director Roman, who has left her a voicemail to come meet at the studio. And we see Sarah, like, walking into, like, everyone's gone for the day. So, like, she's kind of, like, just hanging out in the empty office, and she goes, God, stay out of three. I've got to get a new agent. So there's a lot of jokes about how everyone in it is like, God, I have to be in this piece of shit movie, which I think is fun. Yeah. Um, and as she walks into fun. these darkened offices, she's startled by Tyson, who has a giant pair of scissors stabbed through his skull. And the special cool. effects guy, Stan, who's been making it for him, and he's like, look at this, this is so cool. And she's like, yes. I don't know. I don't know if this is cool. Have you guys seen Roman? And they're like, no, we're about to head out, but, you know, everyone's gone for the day. We haven't seen him. So, of course, while she's waiting, she picks up a, like, music video award and drops it, and the head rips off. And she's like, oh, fuck. And she kind of, like, puts it back. No. And she gets a call from Roman, and she says, I'm so, here's, I'm so sorry. I'm 10 minutes away. I'm still on the 405. But while I have her on the phone, let's talk about your character. And Sarah says, what character? I'm Candy, the chick that gets killed second. I'm in two scenes. I'm a 35-year-old playing a 21-year-old. I'm not happy that I have to die naked, and I'm not happy that my character's too stupid to have a gun in the house even after my boyfriend has been cut into fish sticks. And Roman's like, I hear what you're saying, but let's run through the lines. Page 28. Yes. Candy's big moment. And Candy starts with Roman being, you know, he's being ghost-faced in the scene. And she's mm-hmm. like, I don't understand why I have to start this scene in the shower, Roman. He's like, listen, I hear you, but we just got to make this movie. This is just what's and happening. And so Roman, as Ghost says, Candy, is that like Candy Cane or Candy Apple? You should know my favorite name. It's Sarah. And Sarah's looking at the script like, this isn't in my copy. Are you telling me there's been another goddamn rewrite? <laughs> like, how am I supposed to learn my lines if they keep you rewriting keep changing them? Which, again, is a joke about how this actually kept happening. Yes. And Roman tells her, oh, no, it's not, a, it's not a new script. It's a whole new movie. Of course, Roman's voice drops out and is replaced oh. by Ghostface. And he says, the new movie's called Sarah Gets Skewered Like a Fucking Pig. Sarah's no dummy. So right. she hangs up and she runs out only to Finally. find a figure standing outside the front door, which is like all glass. Yeah. And so she's like, fuck. So she goes to hide in the wardrobe office. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she has to hide among racks and racks of the Ghostface costumes. Oh while she's trying to call security. But, of course, she gets put into the phone tree. So it's like, right. if you're calling about catering, press three. Oh like, God. she's trying to wait this to get to the security evidence line. that we need to be able to just speak to a person if we call phone numbers. A hundred percent. Meanwhile, she doesn't know this because she's, like, trying to remain silent. A security guard, thinking everyone's gone, he locks up and shuts all the lights off in the office. So she could have had a moment that she could have gotten help, but she didn't know he was there. Right. And now the front door is locked. Sarah, meanwhile, it's like, uh, if you'd like to uh, speak to accounting, please press four. Of course, finally, one of the ghost face masks yes. leans out of the rack yeah. and attacks her. Yeah. She's able to grab a knife, but when she goes to stab him, it's a floppy rubber prop oh, knife. prop knife. And Sarah fights valiantly, and she does her best. But in the end, Ghostface grabs her and smashes her through the 
front part, like, I don't I, I was like, how do I explain this? You don't want a door where it's like, it's just the, it's like, um, in my mind, a door that a private investigator would have yes. where it's just a big There's, window with like yes. a name on it. Yes. A, a door with a window in it. Yeah, and a door he, with a window in it. It's pretty simple. Ghostface, <sighs> closed fist, punches Sarah in the face and she flies through the window. Jesus. Smashing it and the shards stab her in the neck and she dies hanging over <sighs> into the window of the door. Ugh. <sighs> She didn't I'm like, deserve that. I'm like, boy, you know, I, I nowadays I think that'd be enough to shut down the movie, but it's 2000. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, keep oh, on, one person gets killed. They're gonna keep on going. Also, and a really fun thing, uh, which we have seen in all the movies, is uh, Ghostface cleans the blood off the knife. Yes. You don't see it, but they add the sound effect. You hear Ghostface do it. And I'm like, that's a fun little Easter egg for it's like, if yes. you know what the sound is, you yes. know what they're doing. If not, you. You just were like, oh, it's just blood or something. Right. That's fun. Over at Los Angeles's beautiful replay cafe, Gail and Dewey sit down for lunch and to talk about the murders, aka to hash out their relationship, like they always have to do every time they see each other. Perfect. And Gail's like, look, I was invited here by the police. They asked for my help. And he's like, why would the police come to you? And it's like, the audacity, Dewey. Like, not only did she literally write the book on it, she has saved people's lives yes, or like she's many. fought valiantly against Ghostface twice yes she has which you know because you were fucking lives. there right and girl's like um I'm be honest Dewey, why are you here because the last time we talked you said that you could never leave Woodsboro and now you're in LA without me right so we realized that the reason they broke up is Dewey did not want to leave Woodsboro and Gail's like, I couldn't live there. I just, I, I'm right. just not that person. Like, I need to be in L.A., New York. You know, I need to be in the mix. And she said, I think I took care of you. I waited until you were well. I, but I couldn't stay there. It's like dog years. One year in Woodsboro is like seven anywhere else. Yeah, I get that. Also, like, Dewey really must have been in terrible shape based on the almost murder that happened to him in the second film. Just, like, stabbed right. and repeatedly. Like, yeah. And the thing is, like, I really do love you. It's just sort of, like, I can't do this. Stay like, here. it's just not yeah. in me to stay in Woodsboro. And honestly, I thought you said that, too. And I see you in L.A. And seemingly, like, you're canoodling with yeah. the actress who is playing me. And I was like, oh, so that part was made up? You know, whatever. Like, how? Right. What am I supposed to think, you know? I, I'm on and Gail's side. 100%. Gail said, you know, I had a real shot. I was going to be the star of 60 Minutes 2, but of course it was uh, canceled. I wanted sure. to be the next Diane Sawyer, and Dewey said, well, what's wrong with just being Gail Weathers? I like her, too. And I'm like, I want them to be together, please. I only I care about so their much. relationship. A model romantic relationship that we should all strive for. Right, a romantic relationship where you love each other and yet are fundamentally so different, it will never truly never work yes. out. Um, yes. And Gail says, you know, you know, we both really tried, but we are just too different. Like, we could not make it work. And mm -hmm. she says, and I'm going to ask you to be honest with me, are you only here because of that straight-to-video version of me? Is that really why you're on set? And he, and he says, brace yourself, Gail, but this is not about you. Like, I was hired to the production. And then Dewey says, well, you told me about Maureen's, like, photo. I'm going to tell you something off the record. Two months okay. ago, the Woodsboro police get a call from a woman who said she was with Stab 3, and she wanted to see their file on Sydney for research. However, she refused to give her name to the police. So the police were like, "Yeah, absolutely. Nice try, Ghostface. Yeah. Like you're like you're not going to give us your fucking name. Like then no, you cannot have this. Yeah, you don't get a whole po police file on somebody. 
A month later, someone broke into the station and ransacked the file room. And Gail's like, oh, shit, did they get her file? And Dewey's like, no, nah, I already removed it. And, and Gail's like, oh, we're so smart. That was yeah. actually very clever. That is smart. However, what it means is somebody working on the film is after Sydney, which we got, we already kind of knew, like yeah. it had to do with Stab 3. But like clearly, someone who works for the production in some capacity, cast, crew, you know, director, someone. is after Sydney and wanted to get that, wanted to find out where she is. Okay. And Gail grabs a recorder and she's like, oh my God, this is huge. But Dewey said, this is off the record. I'm just telling you as a friend. And just then, Dewey gets a call from, to Gen- from Jennifer who is freaking out. And I think Jennifer is supposed to be like, she is the biggest name in the movie. Like, she is mm-hmm. a Jennifer Aniston. Like, sure. she's a huge TV actress who is now trying to, well, it's really Courtney Cox, you know? Like, yeah, she's Cox. trying to transition to TV. And now you can go back and forth, it's fine. But at the time, there really yeah. was this idea of like, you do TV or you do film. Yeah, there yeah. was a divide. So Dewey runs off to Jennifer's house, gorgeous house in like the Silver Lake Hills, oh, you know, amazing. It. And Gail tails him. And they both arrive, and when they do, Jennifer's flipping out, along with her bodyguard, Stephen Stone, who is played by Patrick Warburton from <gasps> Seinfeld. Yeah. My favorite And she's character. freaking out because they just they just found out about Sarah's murder. And she's like, oh, my God, it wasn't just Cotton. And Gail said, where was she killed? And Jennifer's like, don't you get it? Cotton weary, Sarah, it doesn't matter where she was killed. It's the Woodboro murders. Yes. And they're doing it in the order uh, that's happening in Stab 3, the movie. So okay. they're being killed in the order their characters the are killed script. in the script. However, uh, Gail, when Gail says, well, so then who dies next? He, both Dewey and Jennifer look over at her, and Jennifer hands Gail's script and goes, well, it's you. Mm, Gail. That's why I'm like, I'm driving out of town. Yeah. I'm, I'm setting my sights for beautiful Arizona. I'm, get, I'm putting some fucking miles yes. in between me and the production. It's not yes. worth it. I'm not going to hang around set, that's for sure. Yeah. So Dewey exits, and Gail sort of follows him, and he's retrieving something from his trailer. And Gail realizes, wait a minute, you live here in a trailer on Jennifer's property? Oh, and he's no. Like, it's like, you know what, Gail? She says I make her feel safe. But also, he's not living in her house, so it's sort of like, yeah. I was like, this seems fucked up. I don't like that. But then Dewey has another great line. He says, if you weren't so concerned with appearances and pretentiousness, you'd be able to appreciate the positivity and emotional centeredness I provide a woman. Which, again, I thought was, like, a fun little fuck you. So he and Gail go to leave. Like, you know, we have to figure out. We have to consult with the police. And he tells Stephen Stone, the bodyguard, to, can you search the grounds? And Steve is like, "Uh, excuse me, dewdrop. Okay, I am the bodyguard. I protected (laughs) Posh Spice. I protected Solomon Rushdie. And you are a failed cop, as evidenced by the fact you are here to work on a movie. Like, you are not anybody. Your resume reads, like, the obituaries. How about you take suggestions from me? And so, like, now they have to, like, have some sort of, like, dick-measuring contest about, like, who's okay, more in charge and who's more important. And so we know Stephen Stone will die during the yes. movie because you cannot be an asshole to be to Dewey this yes. early on and live. I'll tell you that now. And live. No, um, absolutely. Over at the, Signed your fate. Yeah. Over at the crime scene um, at the studio, Detectives Kincaid and Wallace have found another headshot of Maureen Prescott with the body. And Kincaid's Ooh. like, oh, it's very Silence of the Lambs, very Seven. And Wallace is like, doesn't the killer come after the cops in both those movies? And Kincaid's <laughs> yes. like, oh, don't worry. Like, usually at least one lives, you know? So it's sort of like, oh, now the cops okay. are open to be potentially victims as well. Yes. Um, Gail arrives on the scene, and Wallace is like, get the hell out of here, you know, Entertainment Tonight. But Kincaid tells Wallace to scram, and he's also sort of flirting with Gail. It's sort of like... 
I mean, maybe just be Courtney Cox and you simply can't, you can't help yourself. It's true. As Dewey looks on, talking to this, the security guard about, like, what happened. And Dewey tells Kincaid, let's get an increased police presence on Jennifer. And Kincaid's like, I'll be honest, like, she already has a bodyguard. Yeah. And also, not to make things worse, but there are three different versions of the script. Oh, Because they, they were uh, essentially the real one and then two dummies so that, like, to keep it the secrets away from the internet. So in each version, a different character dies next. So it's not necessarily Jennifer. Right. But the police do not know which version of the movie the killer has his, her, or their hands on. Yes. You know? So something that could have been easy, like, actually, it might not be Jennifer at all. It could be anybody. Back on set, like, they're still, like, you know, meeting up. Jennifer's chain-smoking, and Roman's complaining. Like, all I want to do is make a classic love story. And they said I could have. I made this dog shit movie first. And now we're getting shut down, and we are fucked. And Jennifer's like, okay, it's not the end of the world, the movie getting shut down. He's like, how dare you? You could always go back to must-see TV, like friends. But I have no movie. I'm about to turn 30, and it looks like I'm the next target. And it's like, oh, my God, you're turning 30. The worst thing you could possibly do in Los Angeles. (gasps) I know vomit and and they're like what do you mean you're the next target and he holds up his music video award at the head which popped off which we know is because sarah accidentally knocked it over right and he's like you're telling me this isn't a message i'm obviously going to be next (gasps) meanwhile the detectives are grilling roman are like sarah told security and her roommate that you called her to come to set to have a meeting with you and roman's like i never told her that i never talked to her and they said well let's go down to the station we could talk okay you know and, but also, you know, we barely started the second act. We've got a lot of suspects to consider before the true murder is revealed, but yes. we're taking him down. And Roman's like, no, somebody's trying to sabotage my movie. I'm going to be ruined to this town. And Detective Kincaid, <laughs> at this moment, tells Dewey, you know, the battery's dead on my cell phone. Which I'm like, your professional police cell phone? Like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? What? So he, so he asked Dewey, can I use your cell phone? Something to remember. Okay. Jennifer finally is like, oh, my God. Do you think Roman did it? Remind me never to sleep with him again. Okay. And that night, Sydney gets a call from a distraught woman on the on her hotline for yeah. work who tells her, I killed somebody. <gasps> and Sydney's like, if you killed someone, I can't help you. You have to call the police. I I can't help you with this. And just, of course, the, the woman's like, don't you want to know how you can help Laura? And Sydney looks down at her phone and realizes she's not getting the call on her office line, the hotline. Oh. It's on her home phone number. <gasps> and she says, who is this? And the woman tells her, it's Mother Laura. Now be a good girl and turn on the news. And she turns on the news, and it's a report saying the Stab 3 production has been shut down. Okay. And finally, Ghostface Killer comes on the line in his regular Ghostface voice yeah. and says, do you think it's over, Sydney? Allison, I gotta ask no. you. At this point... What would you do if you were sitting? What would you do? I'd hang up the phone. I, you know, I want to just kill myself at this point because, like, there's just nothing left. Um, mm-hmm. We're not going to allow it, though. Nope, won't allow it. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd move. I, it's time to start over again. Like, I would go find, you know, cops or something. Yeah. And, like, or somebody. I also would definitely have, like, a lot of weapons in my house. Um, Absolutely. Gather those up and then uh, get at, like, clearly, if they have your phone number and know where you are and your and your pseudonym for work, like, they also, they know they're near your house. So it's time to go. Yeah. It's time to go. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. 
with innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Price drop, time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. Luckily, Sydney is on board with everything you're saying. Well, not the killing herself because she's fought too hard for too long. And I agree, it's like... You put in too much work not dying to yes. kill yourself, which is true of everybody, I think, if yes. you're listening. So Sydney, she loads her gun. She makes her, you know, all the doors are locked, but there's nobody there. Right. That night, over at Jennifer uh, Jolie's house, Stephen Stone, the bodyguard, is patrolling the grounds of her beautiful Silver Lake house. Mm. Inside, we see Jennifer, Angelina, and Dewey. And they look on his Tom, who plays the Dewey character, just gets wasted and rips up his Stab 3 script. And he's like, is this a rap party? Is this a rap party? And everyone's really, like, obviously terrified and yeah. also sad about the movie shutting down. And Angelina tells him, like, like can you just not for one second, like, make right. everything worse? Calm and he's down. like, oh, you think you're so great. And Angelina, like, storms out in the patio for some fresh air. And Tom says... I bet she stepped on the neck of every girl who wanted that role. I bet she did horrible things to get it. And Jennifer says, oh, so you asked her out and she said no. Is that what you're saying? And Tom's like, that has nothing to do with it. But that's like our first indication. Like, this is about, like, in a larger sense, slut shaming. Yes. And the Hollywood casting couch experience. Yes. Which I think now that we have, like, the Harvey Weinstein of it all sort of out in the open, Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to have, like, one of the major themes of the franchise being, like, oh, Maureen Prescott is a slut and being punished for being a slut. Yes. In quotation marks. And this is sort of, like, example of, like, Angelina says something, like, a very fair point. And then Tom's like, oh, this bitch. Yeah. And someone's like, oh, you know why you think she's a bitch? Uh, she wouldn't sleep with you. She wouldn't sleep with you. And, and that's sort of something that's going to um, come out come up uh, with regards to both this movie and Maureen is, like, the the scale and scope of punishment to this woman who... Yes, did sleep with someone else's husband, cheated on her husband. Not great, but certainly not in any way, no. like, make what happened to her and all these other people okay. No, But not people at all. keep rationalizing horrible things happening to women as, like, well, on no. some level, isn't that what you get if you're a slut? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, right. well, isn't her fault that, you know, Billy Loomis, like, your mom is a slut. Right. And uh, you slept with my dad. And, and so ev- all of this, not just her murder, but right. everyone's murder, is actually, it actually makes sense if you think about it. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is just another, like, seeding of that, like, Hollywood being a fucked up place. Mm-hmm. And then everyone being fucked up in that regard. Um, Gail arrives, and she, like, she tries to ring the bell, but no answers. So she creeps around back, and she hears Dewey complaining about her to Jennifer. And Jennifer's like, Gail sounds like a narcissistic psycho bitch. And Dewey defends her, and he's like, she's really not. She has a good heart. She just never wants to be perceived as weak. And Jennifer says, like, Dewey, you make it sound like you're still in love with her. He obviously is. Run to each other, you fools. Yes. Like, why are you both in denial about this? You belong together. 
And Dewey's like, well, I left at the part where she's cruel and selfish. And just then, Gail is grabbed from behind by Stephen Stone, who's like, why are you sneaking around and listening at my, like, my employer's bedroom window, right. you pervert? Like, don't you know there's a killer afoot? And he hauls her inside, and, and Dewey's like, what is it, Gail? And Gail takes Dewey aside and tells him that they released Roman because the calls did not come from his cell phone. So we heard him in the in the car yes. calling. They're not from his cell phone, but rather from a cloned cell phone, which is untraceable. Allison, is that how it works? I mm, don't know. Could and not I didn't tell look you. it up. Don't want to know. It's not for us to know. Couldn't understand it However, even if I read it. <laughs> Gail also shows him the first photo of Maureen Prescott, which again looks like a headshot. Mm-hmm. And she said, it looks like she's like 19 or 20 in this photo. I cannot find any information about her from this age. This is two years before she met Neil Prescott. And she, during those two years, she did not live in Woodsboro. Nobody has any idea where she went or what she did. Hmm. And these photos are from that time period. And at this point, I'm like, okay, somebody should ask, ask Neil, but we'll get yeah. we'll get into that. Right. Neil also doesn't know. I'll tell you right now. Oh. They have asked Neil, and he Neil doesn't know. doesn't know either. And it's like, Neil, you didn't even ask. You meet your wife. You're like, oh, what did you do for the last two years? Okay, oh. none of my business. I don't yep. need to know. No really? answer? That's fine. What? Well, even, even if she lied or made something up, Just something. what did she say? Right. The idea that there's two years of your wife's life that she never told you anything about, and you're like, none of my business. Yes, not. Okay, that's fine. But also, doesn't that make sense why then, well, he probably didn't know about her affair? Because Neil's not a very observant person, apparently. Look, if there's one thing Neil doesn't care about, it's uh, facts, information, and details. So he is not paying attention to those things. Finally, when Dewey looks at the photo of Maureen, he gasps, Jennifer... And he runs over, and there's a publicity photo of Jennifer as Gail Weathers on set on the Sunset Studio lot, right? Mm-hmm. And Dewey realizes that the building behind Jennifer in the photo okay. is the same building behind Maureen. The photo was taken on the back lot of Sunrise oh. Studios. Okay, great. So Dewey's like, we got to go to the cops with this. Again, Dewey calls Stephen Stone, who's currently, like, rummaging around Dewey's trailer and, like, snooping around and, like, being nosy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, can you please come back inside to watch Jennifer? Gail and I have to go check out something with the cops. And Stephen Stone's like, oh, you're going to give me an order? I'm busy checking out your trailer. Wouldn't want to have happened to you what happened to your little sister. And Dewey's like, what the fuck did oh, you say? like, one of the most violent murders I've ever seen. <laughs> and Dewey says, that makes me... Angry. And of course, it's not Dewey. Ghostface leaps out from behind Stephen and stabs him in the back, having been the one who called Stephen. Yes. Before beating the hell out of him with a frying pan and leaving him for dead. Like, uh, grabs a frying pan out of Dewey's sink and just beats him over the head. Meanwhile, the actual Dewey, who did not call Stephen, and Gail go to leave, only to realize, like, where the hell is everyone? Right. Finally, Tom and Angelina burst back in the house from the patio. Uh, just in time for all of them to see through the open front door, which is wide open, okay. a bloody Stephen Stone staggering up the walk. <gasps> and when he collapses, dead, we see the knife buried in his back. And Dewey said, okay, everyone get the fuck inside, lock the doors, do not panic. Of course, Allison, Don't the panic. power goes out in the house. The Perfect. power has been cut to the house. Perfect. So everyone freaks out and runs screaming out to the pool. Good. Just then, good place to be. a phone rings only for Jennifer to realize the lights are off, but the power's still on, and now she's getting a fax. What? What a moment, 2000, you could still be getting a fax. A fax. Alice and I have bad news. It's a fax from the killer. Ah. 
That means the killer has a fax machine? It means so many things <laughs> that I we can't even get into it. Okay. But yes, the killer has a fax machine. Okay, obviously. Allison, coming through the fax machine is a new page of the stab script. <gasps> and as they're reading it, it says the body count, after the bodyguard is stabbed, the five stand trapped. When they run outside, the fax machine sends news of their fate, and only one will be shown mercy. And Tom's like, dear God, he's rewriting the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> but Gail and Dewey have done this before. So he's like, yeah. this is a trap. Yep. He's saying everyone, if they run outside, they're killed. Right. He, th this is a trap to keep us in the house. Everyone right. fucking Everybody run get for outside. it. Just run as, yeah. Yeah. So they all run outside. Unfortunately, you know, with Jennifer screaming, I have to know what happens. And Gail says, just wait for the movie. <laughs> Tom runs back inside to see what the next page says because the, the, it says the killer will show mercy too and then they have to wait slowly while the fax machine oh, well, goes. It's basically a dot matrix printer. And luckily everyone else is outside but because the lights are off, Tom has to use his lighter to read the final page which reads dot, 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 oh, the killer will show mercy, dot, 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 to whoever smells the gas. <gasps> Just then, because Tom has lit his lighter, the house is blown into a billion pieces yes. by a tremendous gas explosion. Also, they would have all smelled the gas. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, nobody, like, people would have, if, for it to explode like that, it would have yes. had to have been out, open for a long time. Like, whatever. 100%. Yes. Absolutely obliterating the home, and Tom basically explodes in a fireball. Again, feature wrap on Tom. Everyone else has to sort of leap off of Jennifer's patio and roll down the hill to try to survive. And Dewey gets up and calls for Gail and Jennifer. They both reply, and Dewey goes to Gail. Gail. Of course, as is right, it is where is her blog? with Gail. And he finds Gail. Thank God she's safely. She's on the road, and he's walking down the hill towards her, only to see Ghostface run up from behind an SUV behind her. And Dewey's able to shoot Ghostface multiple times okay. before Ghostface, like, falls and sort of rolls under the SUV, and Dewey falls the rest of the way down the hill. Okay. However, when they go run over to the SUV, Ghostface is gone. And Dewey's like, I swear to God that I shot that motherfucker. Like, yeah. I don't know how this is happening. And Dewey sees that, uh, Gail sees that Dewey's bleeding, and they both lean in for a kiss, only to be interrupted by Jennifer screaming, Where, what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> I gave you a place to stay, and you just left me to die. And she slaps Dewey, and Gail instinctively punches Jennifer so hard, she flies to the ground. Well, she's been punched and Jennifer, by Sydney that she knows how to land exactly. a punch at this point. Turnabout is fair play. Jennifer says, my lawyer liked that. And Gail says, not as much as I did. <laughs> Just then, Angelina walks down the road towards them, alive, but they're all like, how the fuck did you get all the way over there? Why were you not all falling down the road, the hill what, with us? Right. Where were you? What were you doing? And Angelina starts acting badly, but it's sort of like, are we supposed to think she's a bad actor? Or is she actually or is she under duress? acting? Yeah. And she's like, oh my God, Tom was in the house, but it all feels very forced and they all kind of pick up on it. You know, so just then, okay. under the SUV where Ghostface just was, Dewey spots another photo of Maureen Prescott. <gasps> and on the back are the words, I killed her. At the police station, Detective Kincaid's like, oh, so great. So not only did the killer blow up Jennifer's house and kill Tom, yes. he's now taking credit for Maureen Prescott's murder as well. Yes. But Gail's like, that's insane. We all know who killed Maureen Prescott. It was Billy Loomis right. and Stu Mocker. They admitted to it. Yeah. 
they even told Sydney how they did it. Kincaid, however, is like, well, in your book, you wrote that Sydney wrongly painted on cotton. So what if she just got it wrong again? Or like, you know, no. maybe Billy and Stu just claimed the murder because that's what serial killers do. Like they wanted right. the credit. Or Kincaid says, maybe there's a third killer. We have to talk to Sydney, and I want to know where she is. Also, Detective Wallace comes in and says, the mayor is mad, which is also funny. Like, <laughs> the mayor is mad. People are getting murdered. Oh, I'm sure the mayor is. Like, why, why, you know, we're like, this is a Ghostbusters. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> and Dewey's like, there wasn't a third killer. And if there was a third killer, none of us know about it. So Sydney wouldn't know anything about it. Yeah. Like, she doesn't have that information, even if that information is true. So Gail's like, it doesn't matter. Because we know this is about stab three, but right. what we don't know is why the killer is leaving photos of Maureen Prescott. Like, yes. what is that? What are we supposed to take away from that? And if, finally, Dewey says, "Well, Sid's Sid's dad couldn't even help you, and he was married to Maureen." So at least I was like, finally, they at least I mean, asked Neil about these photos, and Neil's that, like, like, "This guy could answer it. He <laughs> isn't because he doesn't have the information." But like, at least we asked. Neil's like, "None of my business. <laughs> Who murdered my wife? <laughs> what my or wife what she is was up doing? to is her stuff." <laughs> I am not good at being a husband or father, let me tell you. <laughs> I am only good um, at carabiners and carabiners only. Kincaid tells Dewey, if you don't tell me where Sydney is, you're obstructing justice, and I will have your ass in the clink so fast. And Dewey's like, I will ask her, I will call her and ask her to come down here, but I'm not just going to give you their information. So he goes outside. It's, it's the morning. They've been up all night. And he calls and he leaves a message. And he's like, Sydney, I'm sorry. I was like, the fifth message I'm leaving you. Just call me back. You don't have to do anything or commit to anything. He turns around and sees Sydney walking through the doors of the police station. Whoa. That's fast. She tells Dewey, the killer called my house. He knows where I live, so I might as well try to come and help. And at least here, I'm not alone. Yes. And she, she and Gail and Dewey all, you know, hug each other. Yeah. But Kincaid's like, how could they have gotten Sydney's number? Like, maybe someone was able to get it from your phone. Has anyone used your phone, Dewey? And Dewey's like, oh, yeah, Jennifer did, and you fucking did. Remember yeah. on set? Yep. And and Kincaid's like, I'm a cop. Like, you can't say that shit to me. And they're at each other's throats again. Mm. And then finally, Sydney sees all the photos of Maureen. Dewey did not tell her about that part of it. Oh, interesting. And Dewey's like, well, why didn't you tell me that they were leaving photos of my mother? And Dewey said, well, I was concerned they were bait to lure you out of hiding, which is absolutely what they are. Zero But questions. okay, guys. Yes, they are. Like, 100% that's what they, these are. But Sydney, of course, doesn't know what the photos are. And has no information. She's like, can you take me to where the location of the studio? Like, I could take a look and see if it, like, yeah. sparks any memories. Like, maybe she mentioned it. I have no idea. They all head back to Sunset Studios, where, again, production has been shut down. At least they did the at least that decent thing. Right. On set, the gang finds, uh, unexpectedly, Martha Meeks, who is Randy Meeks' younger sister, has made the drive to L.A. And Martha Meeks is played by Heather Matarazzo. Oh, like a fun cameo. of course. I love that. And in my favorite part of the movie, Martha says, I've come, I came to drop off a video that Randy made before he died during the Windsor College killings in case he did not survive and there was a third sequel. I mean, so how Randy pre recorded to try to give them advice. Randy was a, a saint and a scholar and deserved better. Yes. All he was trying to do was help. And um, so, of course, they go into a trailer, they put it on, and it says, you know, he says, if you find yourself in a previously with a previously unknown backstory, the sequel rules do not apply because this is not a sequel. It is a concluding chapter of a trilogy. All trilogies go back to the origin, and here are the rules. One, you got a killer who's going to be superhuman. Number two, anyone, including the main character, can die. This means you, Sid, 
Number three, the past will come back to bite you in the ass. So his example is sort of Return of the Jedi. It all goes back to the original story and sort of subverts it. You know, you, we realize that, a spoiler alert, I guess, Darth Vader is um, <laughs> uh, Luke's father. Oh. So it all goes back to the original okay. story. And, and and that way, it all goes back to Maureen. So mm. Maureen's murder started this. So we're going to have to revisit Maureen. And Gail says, I'm going to put my journalist hat on and do some digging. A.K.A. I'm going to break into the production office, but I'm not going to want Dewey or Sidney around to remind me, like, you have to be moral or follow rules. Yeah. So she's like, oh, I'm going to do some digging around, and immediately goes and tries to, like, jimmy the lock on the production office. When she goes to pick the lock, she runs into Jennifer, who says, I have no home. My bodyguard is dead. And it's all because, the obviously, the killer really wants to kill you. Yes. Like, I, like, I'm the character, but this is about you, so yes. I'm going to be your fucking shadow. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Yeah. And then they kind of, they're kind of, like, teamed up as, like, a little investigative buddy. Okay. And more importantly, Jennifer has an uh, ID card and is able to get into the office, and they sneak down to the archive. Okay, well, very helpful. Inside, Jennifer and Gail find Bianca, who clearly has worked in the archive for, like, 40 years. Mm-hmm. And they both stop short because Bianca is Carrie Fisher. And Gail and Jennifer are like, are you? And she says, no. And they're like, but you look exactly like her. And Bianca's like, I know. I have been told that my entire life. And there's a photo of Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. Yeah. And Bianca's like, I know. Like, I went out for all the same roles. I was actually up for Princess Leia. But you know who gets it? The one who sleeps with George Lucas. Again, in Hollywood, young (sighs) women, you have to, like, trade these you know, yeah. like, you, it's a Sexual transactional encounter. casting yeah. couch. You yes. have to be willing to be a prey for these predators in this way. Yes. So it's kind of like making a joke, nodding at, you know, sort of, like, her history as, like, yes. the ingenue in Hollywood. Interesting. And they said, are there any files on Maureen Prescott, who would have been Maureen Roberts at the time because she wasn't married? Right. And so Bianca says, you know, I work for the studio, not the cops. And Gail slides a $50 bill and says, would you work for the president? Oh and my Bianca's God. like, yeah, the president of the studio, I'm not taking your $50 bill. And Jennifer's yeah. like, $50? Are you reporting for the Woodsboro High newspaper? What the fuck are you doing? And so right. Jennifer pulls off this, like, huge ring and slaps it on the desk and says, that ring is worth two grand. Are you going to help Gail Weathers or not? Okay. Cut to, the gals are going through a file cabinet, and Bianca informs them, I really, because of, like, my experience, I never really broke through. I have respect for the unknown actor, and I never forget a face. So if you're looking for Maureen Roberts, you'll find nothing. What you have to look for is the name Rena Reynolds, who was Maureen's stage name. Okay. And they pull out her file, and Maureen She just remembers Rena, this random, unsuccessful actress from I years mean, ago? yeah. Okay. Pretty much. And Jennifer scoffs, and she's like, ugh, stage names. And Bianca says, you should talk Judy Jorgenstern, which I thought was a fun moment. <laughs> That's fun. In their file, they realize that Maureen has been in three, like, B-horror movies from the 70s. Okay. Emma Zombies, Space Psycho, Great. and Creatures from the San Andreas Fault. Wish we could cover all of those. <laughs> I know. And Bianca says, oh, yeah, those are all horror pictures from John Milton's heyday. And they're like, excuse me, who? It's like, oh, John Milton, the executive producer of Stab 3. This is, like, these movies are how he made his name and, like, how he became successful. Yeah. So now they're like, oh, so the connection to Stab 3 is the executive producer, John John Milton. Milton. We have to go talk to this motherfucker. Yeah. Back on set, Cindy goes into the ladies' room, and Dewey and Wallace are like, we'll wait outside because we're men, and gender will keep us from protecting you from a murderer. We'll wait outside. Right. There are borders that exist (laughs) that we won't cross for some reason. 
Right. We'll definitely cross the border between life and death, but yes. we will not step foot inside a, a women's, women's bathroom. bathroom. So as um, Sydney's kind of like doing that, like uh, putting water in your hands and slapping your face and yeah. telling yourself, uh, pull it together, Sid, you know, <laughs> like people only do in the, in the movies. She turns around to see someone in black boots stepping up onto the toilet. So mm. she's like, this motherfucker. But Sydney, again, she's sick of this shit, so she takes out her pepper spray. And, and we also know that she has a gun somewhere on her. But she yes. takes out her pepper spray and she kicks open the door to find Angelina, who's holding a ghost face mask. Okay. And she, like, drops her phone. And Angelina's like, oh, my God, Sydney Prescott, I'm you in the movies. Mm. Or, like, I was. Right. But they shut it down. And Sydney's like, why do you have a ghost face mask? And Angelina's like, well, I just thought the movie's probably shut down forever. And let's be honest, I'm probably not going to get another shot at this. So I just thought I could take some souvenirs. It's not really stealing, you know? Like, don't tell mm-hmm. anyone Okay. And Sydney's like, oh, I get that, you know. And before Angelina goes, she said, you know, I know it's weird because it's your life, but I really did want to make you proud in the movie. And she kind of scurries back to the door and into the studio. And Sydney realizes, oh, she left her hairbrush and chases after Angelina. Never, just let no. him come back for the hairbrush. Yeah. Put it on the sink could, if yeah. you have to. She you know what I mean? It. She'll find it. It's not super important. It's a hairbrush. Allison, she follows Angelina into the darkened set which she does not, did not know, and Dewey was not going to let her see, right. but obviously didn't realize that she's walking is out a different door. Woodsboro. Is a recreation of Woodsboro. And in fact, the set that she walks out of through the door and turns around, it is the murder party house from the end of Scream 1. Oh, no. Down to the blood-spattered doggy door where Tatum, her best oh. friend, was crushed to death. Yeah. So she's obviously, like, super fucked up. She walks into another room, and it's her childhood bedroom. Oh, God. Perfectly replicated. And she hears in her head Billy and mm-hmm. her conversation about not rushing sex. And she repeats along with the lines, would you settle for a PG-13 relationship to herself? <laughs> Suddenly, the door pops open. And Sydney gets out of that pepper spray. And she uses the closet door to jam the bedroom door yes, closed, which we saw in the, the original Scream. Yes. However, it is all for naught because Ghostface smashes through the window and drags her out over the crafty table. Oh. Which I thought was like a fun, like all the snacks fall on the ground. Yeah. It's like nice, she has to like you know, scramble around. I love a movie about movies or TV about TV. I know. And I think maybe that's why I was annoyed by this as a kid, but now as someone who like has in worked the in the industry, I'm like, it's fun. It's fun. So Sydney runs, but because it's a rec- recreation, she's running through her childhood home and is, of course, being forced to run up the stairs. Yes. Because there's nowhere else to go. It's not an actual house. Like, the doors right. do not lead anywhere. She busts through a door, only realized that it's a door to nowhere, and it drops 20 feet off <sighs> the ground into her bedroom set. And she's barely able to catch herself. So when Ghostface approaches that same door, Sydney reaches to the door frame and who's, she's, like, standing on the wooden frame of the mm-hmm. set, grabs him and throws him down into the bedroom. So oh, okay. yeah. throws Ghostface 20 feet to the ground. Nice. But unfortunately, because he's now underneath her, she's stuck upstairs. Oh. As if that wasn't bad enough. Poor Sydney Sarah. hears a voice whispering to her, Sydney, come here. It's her mother's voice, of course. And Maureen's voice says, yes, mother will protect you. Sydney walks into the room, which is a set of Maureen's own bedroom, covered in blood from Maureen's murder, including Maureen's okay. body. We don't see the body, but there is a body under right. a bloody, like, police sheet. Yes. Soaked through with blood. Yes. And a voice says, hide in mommy's bed, which is terrifying. Mm. And then suddenly Maureen's voice turns harsh, and she's screaming, I lied. I can't protect you. You don't deserve to be protected. You didn't protect me. What? And we hear, like, 
in voiceover, like Billy and Stu, they're talking about her mom flashing her shit all over town like Sharon yeah. Stone. Mm-hmm. And our mother was no Sharon Stone. Yeah, like those a lot lines. Of Sharon Stone. And so, and 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 Sydney's freaking out, like uh, panicking, not sure what to do. And finally, Dewey calls out, and Sydney runs to the window, only to turn around to see a figure wearing the bloody sheet. Oh my God! Ostensibly, her mother's risen dead body, right. and says, "Give mommy a kiss." And Sydney turns and leaps out of the second story window onto the fake lawn, and they oh got Dewey and the detectives are there. So he runs over to help her. Detective Wallace, another officer, ch- run up into the house to chase down Ghostface. Right. But Sydney's like, I heard my mother's voice. I don't know what's going on, but he's up there. Somebody's up there. Just then, Angelina Tyson and Detective Kincaid show up. Okay. Uh, conveniently a little too late. Mm. And Wallace tells Kincaid, there's nobody up there. Bitch, of course, he ran away. Right. Like, why are you? It's like, oh, she's crazy. You already have so many dead bodies Jennifer's house exploded. Tommy right. was ripped apart. You're really going to be like, oh, she's cuckoo crazy. There's no yeah. one up there. It's this like, bitch just you. doesn't know what's going on. It's like, you are, people are dropping left and right. Like, listen to people <laughs> when they're telling you what's going on. Yeah, no wonder the ma- mayor is mad at you people. Give me a break. Yeah. Outside, Walls grills Angelina about having the ghost face mask. And she's like, I'm sorry. And she says, I'm sorry. I didn't know you got the gas chamber for taking a prop. The gas chamber, Angelina. Girl. Different times, I yeah. guess. But Kincaid is like, yeah, we didn't find anyone up there, Sydney, as if all of that was her. It's like, yes, it seems like part of it was her starting to lose her mind. Sure. Also, she was chased by Ghostface. Yes. She pulled physically threw him down into right. the There's set. There's destruction like, you could follow to prove that another person was there. Also, Sarah was already killed on set, so like, yes. or on, lo- on the lot. So it's not, this is not an airtight system. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, Correct. clearly people are getting in and out. And, but Sydney luckily is like, I know what I saw. He or she or they attacked me. I'm very clear on this. Mm-hmm. And KK says, okay, we'll take you on the station. We will assign someone to you. We will protect you. Gail and Jennifer, at this point, while Sydney's leaving with Kincaid, catch up with Dewey and tells him, the connection to Stat 3 is John Milton, the producer on um, the three films that Maureen Prescott appeared in, to John Milton's office. Great. In John Milton's office, Roman is there having a meltdown about the film. And it's like, they killed my movie and my cast. I'm ruined. Variety called me a pariah. I don't even know what pariah means. <laughs> and John Milton tells him, look, Hollywood is full of criminals whose careers are flourishing. Yeah. And Roman's like, I'm not a criminal. I was just questioned. And John Milton says, honestly, it might be good for your mystique. And Roman and Amelia is like, oh, do you think it'll help me get work? Just then, okay. Dewey, Gale, Jennifer bust in the door. And they're like, excuse me, John Milton. Does the name Rena Reynolds ring any bells? Meanwhile, John Milton sends Roman along. Roman's birthday party, he's turning 30, oh, a puke, yeah. is at Going John Milton's. It's being held at John Milton's, like, gorgeous, beautiful, expensive, like, Spanish-style mm. Los Angeles mansion. Gorgeous. Insane. So he's like, go ahead, don't cut the cake without me, because I'll be here, in, I'll be there in about five minutes. And Jennifer's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, Roman. Happy birthday. I forgot your party was tonight. <laughs> you know, he's, he might be 30. He's 30 today. He might as well be dead in Hollywood. And Roman says, so. as if life wasn't tragic enough. And he storms out. John Milton, of course, is like, you know, I don't remember Rena Reynolds. I'll be honest. Um, you know, I've worked with so many actors over the years. And Gil says, that's really interesting because we never said she was an actor. And Jennifer's oh. like, ooh, she's good. She is good. And Dewey says, look, if you can't remember, I'm sure we call Detective Kincaid. The cops can come by and they can help you remember. And John Melton's like, okay, actually, now that you mention it, I do remember she was a bit player in a few of my movies. So what? 
And Jennifer's like, you produced a franchise that's built off her real-life murder, and you're going to pretend like that's not an insane coincidence? Yeah. And you're going to pretend to us that you didn't know her? Do you understand how fucked up that is? Yeah. Lies and Jennifer screams at him. Yeah. Jennifer's like, you're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter, and you're the one doing this. Okay. And John Melton says, absolutely not. The studio came to me because I produce horror movies. It wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but you knew who she was this whole time. And right. finally, John Milton admits, yes. When we did the first stab, I realized I had known Maureen as Rena, but I couldn't tell anyone because imagine the press, okay? And I couldn't say anything. It's a with, bad look. It's a bad look. And I can't say anything now because I would be without becoming a suspect. And Gail says to Milton, so what happened to Maureen when she was in Hollywood? Unless you want me to ask the same questions on national TV on my show, Total Entertainment. <gasps> yes. Milton says, look, it was the 70s. Everything was different. I was well-known for my parties. They were for girls like her to be men who could get them parts. You know, Rena wasn't stupid. She knew what they were doing. What, what, she knew what the parties were for. Milton says, nothing happened to her that she didn't invite in some way or another, no matter what she said afterwards. Maybe things got out of hand. Maybe they did take advantage of her. Or to put it in another terms, Allison, maybe she was asking for it. Yeah, oh, God. This is dark. And John Milton says, you know, the sad truth is this is not a city for innocence. But Milton says, you know, no charges were ever brought. And Rena Reynolds, look, if you can't play by the rules, if you want to get in head in Hollywood, you play the game or you go home. And she went home. So basically, this motherfucker is Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. And had Weinstein type parties for his disgusting friends yeah. where Reno, we're assuming, was raped. Yes. So he knew, when he figured out, of course he's not going to bring that up because it wouldn't open a can of worms of how you knew her and what had happened. And what happened. And the irony, of course, is that Harvey Weinstein is an executive producer on Scream 3, as well as Scream 2, Scream 4, and the MTV reboot, uh, not the latest one, uh, for obvious reasons, Mm. because the movie was produced by Dimension Films, which was founded by Bob Weinstein. And it's sort of like, and this is like something that came up too, obviously, when he when Harvey Weinstein was first, like, all these allegations are coming out about it. But it's sort of, like, it's interesting that this, I feel like he's someone who, like, would watch this movie and not think that it had, had anything to do with him. Yes. You know? He's like, he's like, well, that is a Hollywood story. Um, I'm good, though. Right? Bye. Cash the check. Yeah. And John Milton is so disgusting. He's like, look, okay, like, these things yeah. happen. And I also was like, this movie should be called John Milton Must Die. Oh, Yeah. At the police station, Cindy and Kincaid are kind of having, like, a heart-to-heart. And she asks him, what do you know about trilogies? And he's like, well, I know the last one, all bets are off, you know. And she says, you know, did you ask to be put on this case? And Kincaid says, no, actually, like, they usually put me on cases that deal with the business. I grew up in L.A. I know my way around the studios. To me, Hollywood is not about, like, glamour movies. It's about death, you know. And Mm -hmm. I'm a homicide detective, and I'm very sympathetic to where your experience, because, like, I've also been haunted. You know, I know what it's like to have a scary movie repeating in your head whether you want it to or enough. Interesting. And Sydney said, ghosts are tough. You can't arrest ghosts, you know? And Kike says, you've done all the right things. You're not hiding. You know, we are going to figure this out. And says, what do you know about your mother's past? And Sydney tells him, I thought I had this perfect suburban life until I found my mother had, you know, all these secret lives outside of us. And I tried to understand it, but I only found more secrets. And it makes me feel like, oh, I guess I didn't know who my mother was at all. Mm-hmm. And Kincaid says, you know who she was to you. And then Kincaid says, and I believe you were attacked on set. Oh, great. Thanks, dude. Like, <laughs> I, obviously, I was fucking attacked on set. 
It's like, and that's good because I know how to deal with actual living murderers. Ghosts, yeah, you can't shoot them, but an actual person, we can find the scumbag. We can catch him or kill him. And as he goes to, like, you know, put it, go out and, I don't even know where he's going at this point. He's going to march out and find the killer. Yeah. Sydney tells him, Sydney asks, what's your favorite scary movie? And Kincaid says, my life. And Sydney (laughs) says, me too. Meanwhile, as the J, uh, as Gail, Jennifer, and Dewey are leaving Milton's place, they're freaking out. Jennifer is like, oh, my God, he must be the killer. And Gail's like, I don't know. I think he's a pervert, but I don't think he is the killer. I think, like, he's part of it, but I don't, I don't think he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Gail's like, we should follow him. We have to, like, hunt him down. And finally, Gail and Dewey are like, you need to shut up. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jennifer says we should follow him. And Gail and Dewey's like, you need to calm down and shut the fuck up. Shut up. However, just then, Sydney calls and says... John Milton called me and told me he has something to tell me about my mom. I'm going to meet him at his house. No, and it's girl. like, girl. And no. then Dewey says, much like, that's not a good idea. Do not go. And she said, no, I'm with Kincaid. I'm fine. You guys can meet me there. And Dewey turns to them and says, looks like we're going to that party after all. Allison, <laughs> at this point in the movie, I got to ask. Oy. Who will survive? Who will survive? I mean, Sydney, Dewey, Gale. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that... I'd, all bets are off. All bets are off. I would guess, again, we're going to have a high body count, so probably most of the other people who are left that aren't those three will be dead. How do we, how do we feel about um, McDreamy? Um, I think he'll die. Okay. I think he's like a big, a flashy enough person that it's like, oh, that's a, that's a death. And what do we think about Jennifer... I think she'll die, too. Okay, great. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone. Solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? So the three roll up, and actually it's an extremely lame party because it's Roman who is just like chugging champagne. Yeah, turning Tyson and Angelina. Okay. And I think it's sort of like, oh, like he is a pariah. Like, of Mm -hmm. course, nobody came to his birthday party. Like, everyone's like, this guy sucks. Yeah. And they're like, where's Sydney? And he's like, I didn't invite Sydney to the party. It's, it's like, well, she's coming more the merrier, but also I'm just going to get blackout drunk because my life is over. Yeah, that's fair. And Roman says, you know, I, supposedly Milton had a secret screening room that was the scene back in the 70s. It's like, oh. ooh, a place where a bunch of people were raped. Let's go find yeah. it. Ugh. And apparently he had a secret passageway you had to find to get of into course. the screening room. Of course. And so Roman says, I'm going to go look for it. And Tyson's like, there is a psycho killer loose. No one is going anywhere alone. Haven't you seen the stab movies? We are going to be in one. So the cast members all agree we're going to go look for the screening room, and okay. Gail and Dewey, we're going to stay together, and we're going to sit here and wait for Sydney to show up. Yes. And Roman calls to them as they walk through the house and says, okay, we'll be right back. 
Oh, well, we all remember the rule from the first one. Never say I'll be right back. Exactly. Roman and Jennifer go into the basement, but Jennifer kind of, like, refuses to, and she, like, stands at the top of the stairs, and as Roman goes down, it's full of all these props from Milton's um, movies, like aliens and zombies and a bunch of stuff that potentially someone could hide amongst yes. if they were a serial killer of some, some kind. Meanwhile, Angelina and Tyson are headed up the stairs, and Tyson's like, what if Milton is the killer and he's just waiting to leap out with, like, a sling blade and attack us? And Angelina's like, oh, no, I, he probably won't do that. Probably. Meanwhile, Gail and Dewey are like, this is crazy. Like, why isn't Sydney here yet? It's almost like the killer's been able to mimic people's voices when they call people, but we mm. should probably sit here and uh, just wait. And finally, Gail says, you know, just call Sydney back. Yeah. However, when they call the number she called from, they hear a ringing inside the closet <gasps> in the room. They open the door and turn the light. They see a phone next to a voice modulator and, oh, of course, no. a ghost face mask. Of course. It wasn't Sydney calling at all, baby. Oh, no. Gail uh, lifts up, like, the modulator and uses it and realizes not only does the killer have Sydney's voice, he has all other voices as well. D- apparently... Ghostface has invented deep fake audio yeah. 20 In years before the rest of us did. Because <gasps> at first I was like, well, I guess like Gail, she's on TV, you could rip you could, that. Yeah. Or like Maureen was in movies. But then it's like, I don't know how you would have, like it's like Roman, like, well, Sid- we'll get into that. But like, yeah. there's so many other voices where it's like, you wouldn't have Sydney's voice. No. You would not be able to mimic her voice no. unless you had an extremely advanced technology, yes. which I guess he does. I guess. We'll go with but. it. So, Dewey runs upstairs. He's like, we could get the fuck out of the house. Obviously, the killer is here. Dewey runs upstairs, and he's able to find Tyson, but not Angelina. And Gil runs to find Roman and Jennifer and ends up having to creep down into the basement and finds inside a like a prop coffin Roman's bloody body with a knife jutting out of his chest. Aww. She backs into Jennifer, and both of them scream and run for their lives up the stairs. And just as they get there, Angelina bursts out of a, like, a door in, uh, like, a panel in the wall and says, I found the hidden passageway. Isn't that so cool? No. And they're like, Roman is dead. The killer's in the house. It is cool, but we gotta go. (laughs) So Angelina, like, turns around and bolts. And Gail's like, no, listen to me. You can't just run out there. We have to go as a group. You're going to get picked off if you run alone. Yes. And Angelina whirls around and shouts, I did not fuck that pig Milton to get a leading role to die here with second-rate celebrities like you two. And, of course, she runs to the door, Allison, where she's immediately stabbed to death by Ghostface. R.I.P. They run, and they find Dewey, and they're like, okay, so Angelina and Roman are dead. We will stick together. We'll be safe then, right? Just then, as they're staying in the hallway, Ghostface runs up and just cold cock punches Dewey in the face, knocking him to the ground. What? Like, to me, it's like Ghostface, like, I'm just going to run up and start punching people, I yeah, guess, you know? hand to hand. They all end up running up to the uh, John Milton's bedroom in the second floor. Okay. And unfortunately, Dewey's trying to fight this motherfucker, and the Ghostface, of course, slashes Dewey and knocks him to the ground. Dewey always has to be, like, the most seriously injured person in every uh, sequel or every scream film, unfortunately. Yes. He's constantly getting, like, violently beaten, stabbed, like, you know, just, like, just edge of death and then somehow surviving. Awful. 
So Tyson tackles Ghostface as he's attacking Dewey, and unfortunately Ghostface chases Tyson through the house, mm. throwing him into Milton's glass display case, and finally out of a second-story window. And that is a problem with a killer chasing you through a mansion. There's yeah. simply too much house. There is a you lot of house. You can't get outside. There are just more rooms, yeah, you know? there's too many rooms, too many balconies, too many, you know, terraces and, and dressing rooms, and <laughs> just too much. In her terror, Jennifer has, like, run through a door and finds herself in the secret passageway. Oh. Unfortunately, Ghostface managed to get in the passageway, too, and right. chases her back up into John Milton's bedroom. And we see, much like in Scream 2, that she is now on the other side of a oh, two-way mirror. Gross. So these gigantic mirrors in Milton's room are ostensibly Ew. doors into the passageway, but also someone could stand there and watch... Watch you have sex. Someone have sex. Exactly. Oh, yuck. And unfortunately, she's banging on the glass, but it's soundproof. Yeah. And so Gail, and, and who's trying to help Dewey, can't see her. Luckily, Dewey turns and sees the mirror warping, mm-hmm. like, as she's hitting it with her fists. And so he takes out a gun, and he's trying to shoot, like, the panels out to right. get to her. Unfortunately, it's too late, because mm-hmm. Ghostface has cornered Jennifer, and Jennifer screams, You can't kill me! I'm the killer in Stab 3! I'm the killer! Just then, Ghostface Aww. stabs Jennifer to death. Just as Dewey shoots out the final panel and she falls into the room and Jennifer is dead. Oh. Unfortunately, they don't know that Tyson has been killed. So they're like trying to track him down right. and they're like calling for him. Yeah. And Dewey's like, I'm just going to check out front. And as soon as he turns around, Gail is attacked by Ghostface and she manages to fight him off, but they both fall down the basement steps. Ooh. Luckily, Dewey finds Tyson's body and runs back in to find Gail. Just then, as he runs back in, Gail calls him because she is in the basement, trapped, and Ghostface is unconscious on the stairs. And she's calling him, like, come down to the basement. Mm-hmm. I cannot get around him to escape. Yes. And Dewey says, wait a minute, how do I know you're not the killer on the phone? And, and Gail's like, good. I don't fucking know, but you better come into the basement. Of course, Ghostface regains consciousness. Gail is screaming. And unfortunately, when Dewey opens the basement door... He tries to shoot Ghostface, but he is out of bullets, which <gasps> no. gives Ghostface time to tomahawk his knife up the stairs at Dewey's oh. face. I mean, okay, sure. Luckily, the handle hits him, and okay. but it's enough to knock him down the stairs, where now he and Gail are at Ghostface's mercy. Over at the police precinct, the cops are all enjoying delicious hot pizzas, Sydney is still, like, in Kincaid's office, but Kincaid yeah. has gone off to do something that mm. police do. Sure. On his desk, Sydney, she finds a file labeled Sydney Prescott. Inside, there are hundreds of clippings and photos, almost like Kincaid is obsessed with her. Yeah. Sydney gets a call, and unfortunately, it's Ghostface. No. And she's like, who is this? And he says, the question isn't who I am, but who's with me? And she could hear Gail and Dewey telling her, do not listen to him. Do not come here. Like, it's not worth it. We will handle ourselves, you know? But Ghostface says, if you alert the police, I will kill them both. And obviously, Sydney can't stand for that. So she's like, fuck, all right, I got to do this. Ghostface tells her, it's simple. You show yourself they survive. You run, they die. Don't you want to know, Sydney, who killed her? Don't you want to know who killed your mother? Sydney 
basically we see her eyeing a, a bulletproof vest uh-huh. and then steals both a set of keys and a gun. Good. And heads out to John Milton's if house. If you're going to go and be an idiot and go confront this killer, like, you may as well go in prepared. Allison, I'm going to ask you, because I think it's like we're arriving at the point where it's like, who do you think the killer is? Well, now I still have some money on John Milton being involved. hmm Okay. I don't know who else it could be. Everyone is dead. Great. Great. Or are they? Oh, right. I guess that's true. That happens a lot in these movies. Yes. Who's dead? Like, no one. Or everyone. Hard to say. A fine film. A fine film franchise. All right. <laughs> so, um, she has stolen a gun from Kincaid's office. Um... Sydney rolls up to John Milton's house. She finds Tyson's dead body, and next to it is a handheld metal detector, which Ghostface calls her and has it run over her entire body. And I thought, it, 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 like, a fun point that I had not noticed earlier is that she is still wearing Derek's fraternity letter necklace. Oh, that's nice. She's still, yeah. And she, it beeps when it hits uh, her gun, the gun she had taken, uh, uh, which is on an ankle holster, and she throws it in the pool. So Sydney goes in. And she finds Dewey and Gail tied sort of back-to-back, sort of like yeah. Steve was in the original Scream. Yes. And she runs in and tries to untie them. Ghostface immediately attacks her. Of course. Only stops when Sidney pulls out another gun, her personal gun, which we saw earlier, from another ankle holster and says, it's your turn to scream, asshole. And then she shoots him, like, three times point blank in the chest. Okay. Unfortunately, as it is a trilogy, we know the killer has supernatural endurance. Yes. So when she turns again to try to untie Gail and Dewey, Ghostface is gone. Mm. She runs after him and said she finds Kincaid walking into the building, also with his gun drawn. Okay. And she's like, well, who, how, where the fuck were you? You know, he's like, oh, I was doing some research and I realized mm. I got to get to John Milton's house. I don't trust this. And he puts his gun away and Sydney's like, I don't know if I should put on my gun if he's a killer. And finally, yeah. Sydney puts on her arm. And is immediately attacked by Ghostface leaping out from behind her. Okay. Sydney's able to get out of the way, but Ghostface stabs Kincaid. They fight, and then Kincaid gets knocked unconscious against the gorgeous marble fireplace. I mean, love a statement fireplace. The place is, it's very gothic, like Spanish. Mm -hmm. Sure. You you could imagine. I can. So when Sydney tries to shoot Ghostface again, she realizes she is out of bullets. So Cindy has to throw it out of the garden and say, if you want me, motherfucker, come and get me. And she starts running through the house. She's like, if you're, if you're going to chase me, chase me. Yes. She's able to get to the study, and she locks herself inside. And Allison, inside the study, she finds a bookcase that is secretly an entrance into the secret passage to the screening room. Oh. And she's able to get inside and sort of lock the door behind okay. her, only to hear her mother's voice calling to her. Sydney walks down into the screening room, which, by the way, is all hideous couches. Of course. Literally, like, ca- literal casting couches. Yuck, yuck, gross. And it's footage of her mother as a young woman putting makeup on, is being projected on a sheet, and it's Maureen's voice saying, oh, I was so pretty. Everybody loved me. And as Sydney looks on, the figure under the bloody sheet that she saw on set emerges into the room, and Maureen says, would you like to hold me one last time? What's wrong, Sydney? Don't you remember your mother? But when she's when the figure says yeah. mother, it drops in a ghost face's voice. Obviously, Obviously it's ghost face. Of course. I mean, it's a technological genius. Uh, truly, ahead of ahead of his time. Sydney tries to escape, but Ghostface says, it's time for you to come to terms with me and mother. And he pulls open his robe, revealing that he's wearing a bulletproof vest, which yeah. is why Obviously. he's been shot so many times. Yes. 
And Cindy says, who are you? And he says, You're, I'm the other half of you. I searched for a mother, too, an actress named Rena Reynolds. And four years ago, I tracked her down. But she had a new name and a new life, Maureen Prescott. So all of this has happened over four years. That so is a lot. So she's just graduated college. Now yeah. I'm thinking of it. Yeah, right. I guess it wow. doesn't really work time. Did she finish college? I guess we don't know that. That's true. She, she could have left. left. That's a really point. And the killer said, she was the only child. You were the only child she claimed, Sydney. She shut me out in the cold forever. Her own son. And Ghostface pulls off his mask, revealing the killer is Roman, the director. Who oh. is not dead at all. Wow. Roman tells her, after Maureen rejected him, she stopped. So after Maureen rejected Roman, he, he found her. He said, you're really my biological mother. He stalked her, filming her affairs with Cotton Weary and Billy Loomis's father. Allison... Roman sent the video of Maureen's mother cheating with Billy Loomis's father to Billy Loomis, which set in motion the events of the first Scream movie. Yes. Roman says she all, he also gave Billy a few pointers. Have a partner you could sell it if you have to, Sumacher. Find someone to frame, Neil Prescott. Mm. And he tells her, he made the movie, but I was the director, and you were the star. Meanwhile, upstairs, luckily, Gail and Dewey finally get each other untied, and they help Kincaid, who is alive and still has a loaded gun. Thank goodness. Finally, somebody. And Roman says, "But we'll all know. They'll all know who the real villain is now." And he pulls a bound and gag John Milton out of a closet, just like how Neil Prescott was bound and gag in a closet in the first movie. Yes. And Roman says what he did to her made her a slut. And it's like, okay, well, from what we understand, yes, uh, being rejected by your birth mother, that would be incredibly traumatic. But she was raped. And the implication is either John Milton or one of his many disgusting compatriots is the father of Roman. (sighs) So it's sort of like, it's, it it all goes back to like a, a, can we just stop, if we just stop slut shaming people in general, yes, st- serial killers can stop using that to rationalize murdering them. Does yes. that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Roman says, she never recovered from what happened in this room. They fucked her three ways from Sunday and ruined her life. You must hate her too, Sydney. And she he, she plays a recording, he plays, Roman plays a recording of Sydney's voice of her telling John Milton she's going to make him pay and mm. reveals his plan. Roman is going to leave this message on John Milton's voicemail. He's going to blame it all on Sydney, yeah. leaving him as the final boy and the true hero and star. Mm. And he rips John Milton's duct tape off his mouth. Milton's like, don't do this, Roman. I can get you any movie made that you want. I'll give you script approval, any budget. I'll give you final cut. And Roman <laughs> says, I already have it, before slitting Milton's throat. That's fun. That's some fun writing. Yeah. And Roman says, and they'll believe it too, Sid. You were living in isolation. The pressure of another movie about you coming out, your discovery of what happened with John Milton. You went insane and killed everyone, even your friends. Well, this is where, like, Roman, like, you're dumb because Gail and Dewey are still alive. And you yes. kept them alive. Yes. You, if she had showed up and they were dead, you still would have gotten Sidney to the house. You she, were yeah, thinking, She still right? would have been, yeah. You would, just plan it out a little bit, buddy. Exactly. And, she, and Roman says, this is how you pay him back for the mother and for the family and for the stardom that should have been mine. And Sydney's like, Roman, you're the, you're the only one to blame for this is you. You're choosing to kill. How about you take some fucking responsibility for yes. once? And he lunges at her and they brawl. And Sydney's like breaking vases, hitting him in the face with candlesticks, like going nuts, like hitting him with every prop. <laughs> Whatever she can find. But at the end, uh, you know, Roman is physically stronger than her and he gets, Sydney's starting to strangle her. Mm-hmm. And 
Dewey, Gale, and Kincaid aren't able to get inside, but um, Dewey is able to short-circuit the electricity in the house by jamming, it looks like a pair of tweezers, yeah. into a light socket yeah. and to, to turn the lights off, and then Kincaid's able to pick the lock on the secret door. Okay. Unfortunately, that means Kincaid is entering a completely dark, silent room. Oh, you know, as, as Sydney's right. being strangled, she can't even talk. And Ghostface is immediately able to smash something over Kincaid's head, taking him out. Okay. And Sydney surprises Roman in the dark and says, lose something, and holds up his knife. And Roman says, found something, and shoots Sydney in the chest with Kincaid's gun, which he had fallen on the ground. Sydney flies across the room, and he stands over her and shoots her in the chest again. Meanwhile, Roman can still hear, hear Gail and Dewey screaming like, right. oh, we will kill you. If we get in there and you've hurt her, we will, you know, it's like you are, you did not think about this yeah. very Too well. Too many loose ends. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Of course, now he's also in a completely dark room with Sydney. He turns back to Sydney's body. It's gone. Yeah. And now he's overturning tables as Dewey and Gail try to get inside. And we see Sydney's head grab an ice pick out of, like, the bar cart. Yes. Perfect. Unable to find Sydney in the dark, Roman calls her cell phone and it rings immediately behind him. And Sydney lunges over the bar and stabs him in the neck twice. Oof, neck. And Roman falls to the Dead. ground. He says, but I shot you. And Sydney, of course, pulls up her shirt, revealing she, too, has a bulletproof vest. Yeah. And she's like, I, I guess we think alike. And Roman says, Mother's still dead, and I still got to make my movie. And Sydney says, stabs three right, and stabs him for a third time directly <laughs> in the heart. And just then, Dewey and Gail finally get through the door. They're like, Roman, you bitch, it was you! We, we <laughs> thought you were dead, you asshole! Like, just, like, going nuts. And so as he dies, Sydney takes Roman ha Roman's hand. And they do have, like, an interesting moment of, like, I'm sorry that you yeah. were insane. And, like, I'm sorry that, like, you were my sibling and I had to murder you, yeah. you know? And she stands up and Dewey's like, be careful. Randy said the killer's always superhuman in the end of a, a trilogy. And so he said, he wasn't superhuman, Dewey. He wasn't superhuman at all. Of course, Roman leaps up yeah, and attacks them with a knife. And Dewey starts shooting him until uh, uh, Sydney's like, shoot him in the fucking head. He's got a bulletproof vest on. And finally, he shoots Roman in the, he Roman in the head, killing him. We find ourselves back at Sydney's home, finally, with, yeah. Dale, with Dewey and Gail visiting. And we're watching her. She's, like, taking a walk with her dog. Free, easy. The dog does not die, thankfully, in case anyone cares that, about that. Yes, people dog, do really care. We've kept track, and the dog is, lives. And Dewey gives Gail a copy of her book, The Woodsboro Murder, and asks her, like, would you sign it for me? And she's like, you hate this book. He's like, I know. I just, I would just like you to have your signature. Mm -hmm. Allison, when she opens it, Dewey has carved a box out of the pages, and inside is an engagement ring. Obviously. And I literally teared up. <laughs> I was like, this is so nice. These two deserve like, this. And Gail's like, Dewey's like, I know it'll never work, and you know it'll never work, but what I'm asking is, what if we just try to see if maybe we're wrong? This is the only movie couple, couple I have ever cared about. Hey, ever. And Gail says, you're a brave man, Dewey Riley, and Ebitz. I'm really scared right now, though. And Allison, they kiss, and she puts on the ring, and just as Sydney arrives back home, and Sydney doesn't even, like, lock the gate and do all her, like, yeah. mechanisms. She leaves it open, finally feeling safe and feeling free, not knowing there are at least two more movies that just franchise. <laughs> yeah, at least. And in one more surprise, Detective Kincaid is there, too, and she joins him along with Dewey and Gail to watch a movie. And as they do, like, the porch door kind of pops open in the wind, and she leaves it open, finally free. Until Scream 4, of course. That's the end. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, Very well... Nice. So what are some fatal mistakes you think some people may have made in the movie? Scream 3.
mistakes. I mean, trying to push this turd of a film through the studio system, I guess, would be number one. <laughs> um, anybody being involved with it. Like, if Dewey and Gail and everybody just stayed away, right? nobody would have found Sydney, and they wouldn't have all, all these people wouldn't have probably died. But I guess that he was killing them before fighting Sydney, So I guess it wouldn't have stopped him from killing. That's true. She herself would not have been as much in danger, but... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, listen, they again, they did they did the best detective they could. I would say uh, award of the movie goes to Randy Meeks for being so thoughtful mm, yes. that he pre-recorded advice for the trilogy. Right. That his teen and then I guess told his teenage sister that to come existed. and drop it off in case he died. Yeah. Um like if this yeah, stuff all starts up again and I haven't survived, this will help them. Like it's absolutely truly incredible. Wild. Um, and then finally, um, where would you place Scream 3 on the spooky scale? A spooky scale. I mean, I think with all of the, you know, there's so much fun and so much, like, inside Hollywood and L.A. to it that, like, kind of brings it down. I, I, I'll give it, like, a three and a half. Yeah. I got I guess I'm going to say a one. <laughs> like, I, it's not scary at all. It's yeah. so fun. I would say once you have a killer faxing somebody, yeah. like, something, it's, it's just sort of, like— yeah, it's just it's just a fun um, murder mystery, a whodunit, and I loved it. But again, not, not, uh, not scary. I mean, maybe there's a little bit of blood, or I mean, just like anyone sure. who's like very sensitive to that kind of thing, maybe the, you'd have a hard time with those scenes. But the rest of it is like Parker Posey, hilarious. Like everyone's yeah. super funny in it, which to me again always lowers the um, scariness, but it increases the overall enjoyment of the film. Yes. Well, thanks, guys, for continuing to tune into Scream Month. Uh, join us next week for Scream 4. We only have one left. It's This was probably my favorite sequel. I've loved all the sequels. Yeah. Um, or all, all of them up until the most recent one. Um, I love Scream 4, so hopefully you'll keep oh, listening. And um, join us again on Sunday, February 27th um, for our live show, which is at momenthouse.com slash ruined. Um, and as always... Please, you gotta keep it spooky. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?